if you are a first-time visitor, just to let you know, a first-time guest, to let you know what we're doing now, uh, this is the section of our service which we call Deeper Waters. And uh, it's just a Bible study. We try to go a little bit more in-depth than you may have heard from other Sunday school lessons, per se. So we call it Deeper Waters. And we are on... Um, we are on the second to the last lesson of a series which we've called the weapons of our warfare and we're going to read from the book of ephesians chapter 6 and begin reading at verse number 11 and reading down to verse 17 put on the whole armor of god that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Today we're going to talk about how the word of God is our greatest weapon against the enemy. Amen. So there is an unseen battle, which we fight every day. Fighting it in this church collectively as a church. You're fighting it individually in your own life. Um, Unlike other battles that can be seen and, and is, of course, in the realm of the natural, this one cannot be seen. Uh, but it is just as real because at times... And sometimes constantly it can absolutely be felt. And it is a battle for your mind, but ultimately it is a battle for your faith. Now make no mistake about it. Like that is the only thing the devil is after for you. If he can get your faith, he's got everything. If he can get you to let your faith down, if he can get you, if he can steal your faith and your confidence in God, then he takes away everything. This is why Paul said, above all, taking the shield of faith. And I always thought this word, this phrase, above all, meant like this is the most important thing. But when you look at it in the Greek, it's not actually, it's not quite what that means. This, so this word above all does not mean in order of importance. Rather, it means overall. In other words, as a soldier holds his shield to defend himself, it constitutes protection over every part of the body as that shield can be turned in every direction. So the idea is, that as the shield covered or protected the other parts of the armor, so faith is a similar protection. So again, the idea is not above all as in in order of importance, but that shield of faith is a protection over all, every other piece of the armor. Simply put, in times where faith is low, it makes room for other things to settle in, like discouragement, like fear like anxiety, and we become vulnerable to the enemy's attack, more so than at other times when your faith is high. Because the enemy really can only attack your mind. He can throw sicknesses on you like he did Job, but really, you know, I believe God puts a hedge about us and only allows in what, what, what he thinks we need for that particular season or time being. But just ask Elijah, who was a great man of faith, you know, he, he put to shame 450 prophets of Baal in, in a single afternoon. And then he was running from, from Jezebel the very next day, hiding in a cave, saying, Lord, I'm the only one left, and they're probably getting ready to kill me, and why don't you just kill me and get it over with? 
You ever felt like that? Maybe you haven't asked God to kill you. At least I hope not. But you just think, Lord, you know, I'm discouraged right now. And that's when the enemy can attack you the most is when that happens. So this is why Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, he said this, at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. In other words, when the enemy attacked, I kept that faith. When times got hard, I kept the faith. When they beat me and left me for dead, I kept the faith. When God did not heal me after I prayed at least three times for him to heal me, and he didn't give me the full reason why I kept the faith. I never gave up. I never gave in. I never quit preaching the gospel or proclaiming the truth regardless of the consequences. I kept the faith. I kept it. I didn't let go. But I kept it. I think that's what he was saying. Because it's so easy to quit when times get tough. To throw in the towel. But that's what the enemy wants you to do. Because the enemy wants your faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7 with me. Where the apostle Peter said this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that you have to have at the end of your life when you stand before God, and that is your faith. That is the most precious commodity to heaven and to hell. Your faith. And here is a huge reason why. Because all of the promises of God are activated by faith. There's not a single promise from Genesis all the way to the end of the book in Revelation that can ever be activated without even some measure of faith. Matter of fact, even repentance can't even be activated by faith. A man who doesn't believe that he's a sinner can never believe that Jesus is a savior. Nothing in God's word from Genesis to Revelation is ever activated or claimed but through faith. Brother Stone King says this. The world says, show me and I'll believe it. God says, believe me and I'll show you. Simply put, if you don't believe it, you will never receive it. When we receive and believe God's word, it becomes like a sword in our mouth. Look at uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 8 where Paul said this. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Paul told the Galatians, how did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive it by the works of the law or through the hearing of faith? This is what he's referencing is that when you believe that he died on the cross and he rose again, then you can receive the Holy Spirit baptism. You shall be saved through that. Salvation comes by faith. So if you believe that, you can receive it. Look at Psalms 149 and verse 6. He says this, Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Praise puts a sword in your hand. Praise itself is not the sword. Praise puts the sword in your hand. That's why he follows it up with when the high praises of God is in our mouth, then a two-edged sword is in our hand. And here's what I think he's saying is that when you lack in faith, there's one thing that you can always do to get that faith back, and it is begin to simply worship God and praising God. And eventually, you're going to feel faith start to return. And this is really a really important strategy that the enemy does not want you to remember. 
Because there's going to be times in your life where God does not meet your expectations. There's going to be times in your life where it seems like he has failed. Now, when you go through the long scope of time, you realize that he really hasn't failed you at all. But, it, but at times, it kind of feels like that. And the enemy will sit on your shoulder and he say, see, I told you. God doesn't love you or he doesn't have a plan for your life or, you know, your life is too big of a mess. But there's one thing you can always do. You can lift your hands anywhere you're at. If you're in the car, don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. You can praise him anywhere. And you can just begin to worship God. And you know what? It's not going to be too much longer where you are going to feel faith begin to return to you. And then look at what he says next in Psalms 149. He says this. Why has he given us this two-edged sword in our hand? To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. That's the reason why we praise is because it puts a two-edged sword in our hand. And when a two-edged sword is in our hand, we can fight deep spiritual battles with that word. How did Gideon defeat the Midianites? What did they say? They said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It wasn't Gideon's sword. He never used the sword at all. He used the pitcher that he smashed to the ground. But it was really faith. It was, God's, it was faith in God's word. The word of God and faith in that word that allowed Gideon to defeat the Midianites. Because God's sword be, becomes our weapon when we have faith in that. But it doesn't do any good merely quoting a verse. Uh, but when it's mixed with even the smallest measure of faith, it becomes powerful enough to move mountains. You know, I read this uh, just this past week of this 83-year-old lady. I think it was she was down in Texas. 83-year-old lady, middle of the night, lived by herself in this little house. Somewhere about the middle of the night, she hears this little rumbling and she hears a window break, and she realizes somebody's, been, somebody's broken in my house. 83-year-old lady, all by herself, what would you do in the middle of the night? All the lights are off in the house. So she goes, she turns on uh, the hallway light, and she stands at the top of the stairs, and, and she says, who is that? Please get out of my house. And I think at first she was kind of like, you know, like really scared, really fearful, but then about 30 seconds went by and she came back and stood to the top of the stairs. And the story goes that burglar heard a cocking sound that sounded like a gun. And this 83-year-old lady stood at the top of the stairs and said, this is exactly how Fox News reported. I'm not making this up. She said, come here, burglar. I've got something for you. <laughs> and she shot in his direction. I don't know if it hit him or not, but it's made him scared. And you know what? They actually apprehended that man. Thank God the police got him before that 83-year-old lady did. <laughs> I will tell you this. I have no idea what that young man's intention was. But we, we, we might have been hearing about how some, you know, some 83-year-old lady was murdered or, or robbed or worse you know, by, this, by this guy. But I'll tell you what. When you got a weapon in your hand, it takes the fear out of your heart. And when the enemy comes in and he starts to attack you, you know, you can be fearful or you can get out your word and say, I got a sword in my hand, so come on here, enemy. I got something for you. That's the kind of boldness that we need to have when we have faith in God's word because that faith will activate his word.
You know, Jesus uh, was, was really kind of chiding his disciples. And we get to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 19. This is the story regarding a demon that the disciples could not cast out. And the Bible says this. Then, then came the 12 disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say in this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you, howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, I've heard people say that's the smallest amount of faith to remove mountains. But when you read the book of Corinthians chapter 13, Paul, Paul equated great faith with being able to move mountains. Paul said, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains. So I don't know if the measure of faith in particular is particularly what Jesus is talking about. I think he was talking about how a mustard seed thrives and grows. And even though it's small, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of seeds yet produces the largest of herbs. It continues to grow and it does not let any obstacle stop its growth. And if you can have that kind of faith, that, you know, like that mustard seed can be planted under a rock, but, but eventually that rock is going to split in half because that, you know, the potential in that mustard seed is greater than any obstacle it comes against. It continues to thrive and grow. And I kind of feel like, you know, there's been some of you that maybe have been thrown under the ground, you've been forgotten about, you've been trampled under, but you know what? You know, that's what a mustard seed, that's what happens to a mustard seed. And God might be setting you up to be something really great in the kingdom of God if you can just keep being persistent and keep showing up and keep coming to church and keep doing right. Amen. But, but he said, prayer and fasting. That's how it's developed. And that's how faith really is developed. It, it doesn't, you don't just magically wake up one morning and have the faith of T.W. Barnes or Lee Stone King. It just, it just doesn't happen that way. It took them all their lives to get to that point, to have that kind of faith. And unless you pray and fast, then your faith is not going to grow. Faith in God's word. Isaiah 55 and verse 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. In my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. I remember when I was just a kid, my, my great-grandmother uh, was, you know, in a nursing home for the past 10 or 12 years of her life, bedfast most of those years. And it, it, was, it, was, it was during that time my mother really wasn't living for God, and there's, there's four of us. I got two older brothers. I, 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 got a, a, I have a little sister also. And uh, as a matter of fact, not only her, but my grandmother also was not living for God at that point. But my great-grandmother would, I would, I would come in. We would visit her like every Sunday afternoon. And, and, and I, would, I would come into her room, and I'll never forget it. She would be in her little rocking chair, and, and she would be rocking in that chair, and she would have her Bible open, and she would be weeping tears over some passage in Isaiah that talked about how I'll, I'll bring your kids from afar and your daughters from the end of the earth, and she would be praying and believing God for that. And I'll never forget that mental image because that's the kind of faith that I'm talking about today, the kind of faith that believes even though you can't see it. But because God said it, you simply keep believing. Because that word is a seed. You can't see a seed, 
When it's planted in the earth, only God sees it. You can't see a seed until it begins to sprout up out of the ground. So keep planting God's word in your heart and in your mind. In prayer, believe, and that faith will activate those promises. When we say plant God's word in your heart, what we mean is plant it in a place where you can believe it and receive all of its benefits. Not just in a place where you love it. If you, if you love it, you're going to believe it. But faith comes first. You have to believe it first, and then you'll love it. And then it's planted deep in your spirit. In other words, don't let anyone or anything ever convince you that it's not true. Hide it deep in your heart, tuck it away, and let your faith guard and nourish that word, and it will begin to grow. You know, there's one book in the Bible that, in the New Testament at least, that does not end with the word amen, and it is the book of Acts. But, you know, I've, I've heard it preached that, you know, that, of course, it's because, you know, amen means the end, and, and we should keep continuing to, to do great things. And while that's true, the word amen does not mean the end. Amen means so be it. It is a word of affirmation and agreement. It's a word that is said where we say amen. Like if, like if I said uh, the Chiefs lost to the Patriots, you would say amen because that is a fact. I know we didn't get much, didn't get much excitement for that, but, but it's true. Or if I said, God is good, you say amen to that. So it's a word of agreement. It's a word of affirmation. So Acts doesn't have an amen at the end. I believe it's because it's for us to add the amen to it. We have to believe today that what happened in the book of Acts can happen today. And we are supposed to be adding the amen. We are supposed to be in agreement with that, with the way we live our lives day by day. If God said, I'll heal your body, I say amen to that. If there's a promise in his word that he said, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, we say amen to that. And that amen, that word of agreement and affirmation activates that promise of God in our life. If God said he'll raise the dead and open the blinded eyes, I say amen to that. And that activates that promise. But oftentimes we try to go into spiritual battle and we really don't know what we're doing. Because the only real weapon that we ever have against the enemy is the word of God. And before I can engage the enemy in deep spiritual conflict, I must have my faith strong enough so that God's word can be a sword in my hand to defeat that enemy. No matter what it is, if we're fighting on behalf of our children or, or, or a spouse or loved ones, whatever it is, we have to activate God's word. Because here's, what's, because here's why. Begging does not work with God. You ever have kids that just, you know, they just whine and they beg and they beg and they beg and they beg. What do we do sometimes after they whine and they beg and they beg and they beg? Yeah, we just say, okay, I'm just sick of hearing you whine and beg. Well, you know what? A lot of times that's not God. He, is a, he can be a tough father. He's the loving father. He loves you. And once in a while, he'll give you what you want to the detriment of you at some point in your life. But, but, but begging does not work with God. But when you ask in faith believing, James said nothing wavering, then you can receive the promises. Because what we call impossible, because we can call impossible things out in prayer, by faith in his word. Psalms 119 and verse 89 says this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Where is it settled? 
It's settled in heaven. And we bring it down to earth by our faith. We bring it down. In other words, in my life, it doesn't matter what is happening. If all hell is breaking loose in my life, because his word is settled, but it's not settled on earth, it's settled in heaven. I can look to heaven and say his word has already been settled in heaven. And so I can bring it down to a place where I can agree with it. Where is it settled? It's held in heaven. It doesn't matter what happens on earth. His word is forever settled in heaven. Settled means it never moves. Nothing can move it. No circumstance, no sickness, no pain. It is forever and ever settled in heaven. Amen. Amen. And what God said in his word, he will absolutely do because here's the fact. His word is an absolute contract with you. He has written it down and signed his name to it. This is what I will do. I'm going to, you know, you know, God said, I feel so strongly about this. I'm going to give it to you in writing. And all of those promises of God are activated through faith. I want you just to stand today. Now, you may be in a place where your faith has been moved, but let me just encourage you that God's word is not. Place your faith back in God's word and let it once again be a sword in your hand to combat the enemy. Lift your hands right now and just begin to call out his name because he's worthy. Come on, let us... Let his word be in your hand like a sharp two-edged sword. If your faith is low, then just begin to worship him.
Testament, when Moses saw the burning bush and came before the presence of the Lord, one of the first things that he wanted to know was who this God was. Because in the culture that he had come from, they identified their gods. There was the God of the sun, and there was the God of the moon, and there was the God of fertility and the God of the harvest, and they all had different names. And so Moses, when he interacted with God, he said, who will I say that you are? And the Lord said in Exodus 3:14, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And what he was saying is he was telling Moses, you're used to a God that you can quantify and that you can put into a book box and that you can explain. But I am a God of everything. I am whatever your situation is, I am the God of that. And in John, Jesus comes onto the scene and he's speaking before a group of people and he says to them, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And at that moment, the Jews took up stones and wanted to kill him because they understood that he was claiming to be Jehovah God of the Old Testament. And I'm so thankful today that we serve God, manifest in flesh, the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. And this next song that we're going to sing, it talks about who he is, that he truly is the I am.
who you are, for who you are, who you're going to be, oh God. We love you, Jesus. wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning and we're gonna sing another song but we wanted to pause because God's been doing some awesome awesome things and we'll invite our ushers to come at this point they can receive this morning's tithes and offerings